Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Lewis Hart for Boxing Social in association with Empire Fight Store and Forced Irish Stout. Delighted to be joined in the new year with Dan Rayfield. It hasn't been hasn't been too long since we last caught up, but there's a, obviously the new year has started with some breaking news. Um, before I do start uh, talking about that, um, how was your Christmas? How was your new year? Uh, how was it? Pretty low-key, but good. I'm glad to uh, get off to a new year. Hopefully we get a, a year of boxing like we had last year. Absolutely. I definitely hope that as well. Um, I guess we'll just start firstly on the uh, Golden Boy card uh, last night. Um, sort of just touch on the two, the main event and the co-main event. Um, mostly first one, we'll start on the co-main event, Ishmael Barroso, um, you know, turning back the clock to find the years once again and stopping O'Hara Davis uh, in emphatic fashion inside a round. Um, what did you make of the of the, uh, the fight, of, what, of how much it lasted? Well, I don't think you can ever be totally shocked if Ishmael Barroso scores a knockout in a victory because he's been a, a good puncher for his whole career. The fact that he was able to knock out Davies in the first round was a little bit of surprising. Uh, the fact that he won was a little bit surprising because then the Davies comes in, you know, much, much younger, you know, first uh, fight on the new contract with golden boy. He's the favorite. Uh, everything is set up for him for some stuff down the line. And uh, you know, he got nailed. He, I mean, Barroso, you know, I know people joke around because he's, you know, he's 40, but he looks much older. Uh, but the man can punch. There's no uh, mistaking that whatsoever. And uh, he caught him and he caught him again and he put him down twice. And uh, even though, you know, O'Hara showed the heart to get up both times, clearly after that second knockdown, he was all done and the referee made the proper decision to end the fight. But uh, that's, that's uh, you, you know, sometimes guys, you know, you have a knockout loss, you know, you can overcome it and, and move on to the next. It's, it's a little hard, though, to see how, and I'm not saying he can't do it, but it's going to be really difficult for Davies to overcome that type of knockout in that type of situation, you know, given that he's been stopped previously and where he is in his career, that that's a rough one. And it's, uh, you know, you can't, um, you can't not be happy for Barroso after how he got totally yeah. screwed against Roly Romero in his previous fight that cost him uh, winning the, w- the WBA title. Now he has the interim title. And uh, supposedly when Romero was back to health uh, and no longer dealing with the back problem that he will be, uh, the next up in the mandatory fight. Now, Roley was at, at ringside. Well, you know, we'll see what he winds up doing. There's been a lot of conversation. He may go the direction of uh, 
of a Ryan Garcia fight, uh, which I guess could certainly still happen, but I guess it would be without the belt. But we'll see. But uh, it was a great win for Barroso and a, a, a hugely debil debilitating loss for, for Davis, who, by the way, I feel like maybe was a little overconfident uh, going into that fight. I, I, you know, I had the occasion to speak with uh, Eric Gomez, who was the president of Golden Boy Promotions, the day before the fight. And he was with O'Hara at the time uh, that I called Eric about something not related to that particular bout. And he's like, hey, you want to say hello to O'Hara? So, yeah, sure. So we put him on the phone and, you know, I chit chat with O'Hara for a minute or two. And uh, he says, mate, I'm coming. With, I'm coming to take over your country. I said, OK, good luck. Uh, didn't work out, did it? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Um, staying on the topic of Barroso and uh, the Roley fight, do you feel like sort of the rematch, everyone wanted the rematch after, you know, the questionable stoppage, which we'll, we'll get into questionable stoppages uh, just in just a second. But do you feel like that would be like, it's like sort of justice for boxing in a way after sort of um, Barroso got robbed against, uh, sort of sort of robbed against, against Roley in their fight in May? Well, yeah, I mean, he was talking about how it's, uh, you know, quote unquote justice. It was a terrible stoppage in the fight against Roley, a fight that Barroso was winning handily, you know, beating Bar beating a Romero, you know, fairly handily. And uh, it was a bad stoppage from uh, the referee in that fight, Tony Weeks. I'm sure we're going to get into his situation yeah, in the next fight. But, uh, you know, look, Barroso uh, he's like old man uh, doing his thing. He, you know, he he's got the two fists and he can punch with both of them. And he's uh, he's a good puncher. And it was a big win for him. Absolutely. You just mentioned there about uh, stoppages and qu very questionable ones. Um, oh, uh, Virgil Ortiz Jr. came back from a lengthy layoff to, um, those are put in quotations, to uh, stop um, Frederick Lawson um, last night. Another very, very questionable stoppage from Tony Weeks, as we was mentioning, as he did have Barroso versus um, Rowley a couple months ago. Um, you, of you last night, you tweeted about your, um, this, you know, your sort of frustrations with the stoppage that many people did echo um, sort of a, a very, very questionable one to say the least. I mean, uh, in the first fight that we were just talking about with Davies uh, against uh, Barroso, no problem with that stoppage. I yeah. mean, he was badly hurt. He was down twice. He was getting clipped with everything. Uh, I didn't see anybody complain about that knockout yeah. whatsoever. He was glassy eyed. That's what the referee's there to do to stop the fight and make sure the fighter doesn't get hurt. And that's what he did in the main event with Virgil Ortiz against Frederick Lawson, it's the exact opposite, in my opinion. Now, Tony Weeks has been, uh, and I've known Tony for, you know, almost 25 years. He's a been a been he's a great guy. He's been a great referee. He's refereed some of the biggest fights in boxing. He, you know, he is the, will always be remembered for the uh, the job he did in the, what I view as maybe the greatest fight in the history of boxing, which I was privileged to be ringside for. That is the first fight between uh, Jose Luis Castillo and Diego Corrales for the uh, unified lightweight title. Uh, that is in 2005, so a long time ago. But to think that the man that refereed that glorious fight was the same guy that stopped the fight the way he did between Lawson and Ortiz is like a different referee. Uh, he's been a professional referee for 20 years. He's done nearly 900 professional fights. I actually knew we were going to talk about this before yeah. uh, you know, we got on the call. So I actually looked up because I was wondering, like, I know Tony's done a ton of fights. I checked. Uh, if you look on his box records, he's just a hair under 900 professional fights. He's done, you know, zillions of title fights and some of the biggest, you know, big mega pay-per-view fights that you can think of. And like I said, he's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame someday as a referee. Uh, but he's not showing himself to be a Hall of Fame ref these days. He is, you know, in uh, he's 67 years old. And, uh, you know, he had the terrible stoppage that's been heavily, heavily criticized between uh, Barroso and Romero that took place in November of last year. And now he starts off the calendar year of 2024, you know, the first main event of the first like notable card 
and boom, uh, a stoppage that just defies logic, made zero sense, was no reason to stop the fight. I made the point, if you're going to stop a boxing match because of that, then why should boxing even be allowed? They should just like pillow fight or, you know, or, 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 or I don't even know. It just was ridiculous. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, Virgil Ortiz landed some nice punches. He landed some good body shots, some stiff jabs. He had backed uh, Frederick Lawson into a, you know, to the ropes near one of the corners and he was letting his hands go. I've watched the replay of the stoppage like several times since uh, that happened last night. And he was, he threw, you know, numerous on it, probably about 10 to 12 unanswered punches. The problem is, the ones that landed primarily were body shots and not even hard body shots. Even Virgil said afterwards he wasn't throwing full blast. Yeah. And the shots that landed upstairs were not clean shots. And a lot of most of them missed. They were being, you know, uh, Lawson was either slipping them or catching them on the gloves. They, the point is there was not a, a quote-unquote telling shot. I, I remember yeah. having had conversations with uh, the late, great referee Steve Smoger, who I was friendly with for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we would see each other at fights and we would talk boxing and he would always, I would like pick his brain on his philosophy of how to referee. Cause I always considered him, you know, one of the great referees in the sport and uh, talk about, you know, when in his mind was the proper time to stop a fight. And he would always talk about the telling blow, the shot that really, you know, discombobulated the opponent or, you know, rocked his head back or something that was like, okay, now I got to stop the fight. And he, he went through like chapter and verse on, on his thoughts about it there was no shot like that even close to that kind of shot in this particular fight. So I know it's easy to dump on Tony. And again, it doesn't make him a bad guy. I think he's a great guy Uh, and he's been a great referee. That was an atrocious, atrocious stoppage. And, and it robs Lawson of a chance. It robs Ortiz of the rounds. He desperately needed after 17 months out of the ring, the opportunity to score uh, a more emphatic victory and it's the first round, okay? I get that it's these are not four round. Even if that was a four round preliminary bout yeah. between two guys making their pro debuts, it's not the kind of fight that you would stop in that situation. Much less seasoned veterans like Frederick Lawson and Virgil Ortiz. So as I was thinking about it, and again, I was not being emotional. I was not doing this like just you know, you know, off the cuff. I I was thinking about it, and I've been watching boxing since the late 1970s. I've gone back and watched, you know, gazillions of hours of boxing from before that time period on videos and YouTube and things like that and been covering boxing for going on 24 years. And, and I, I was like thinking, like, can I, I can't, don't know if I can think of a worse stoppage ever because of the, the you're in the first round and nothing has happened that would make you think this man is in any trouble at all that I have to stop the fight. Now, if you listen to Beto Duran, who was the analyst on the DAZN stream of yeah. the fight, he got a chance to talk to Tony Weeks. Tony did not do an on-camera interview, but at least he was gracious enough to talk to Beto okay. off-camera. And Beto, re, re, uh, you know, he relayed the comments that Tony made to him in that co- conversation. He said, uh, I'm paraphrasing, that that uh, that he saw his eyes roll back in his head, talking about Lawson. And I'm not going to say Tony's a liar, but I don't know where that happened because I didn't see the kind of headshot that would have caused that to happen. So it's a terrible stoppage. You put it on top of the fact that the last higher profile fight that Tony officiated was the fight that we just mentioned, which was the Barroso Romero, which was another horrendous, horrendous stoppage that it might be time to, you know, reassess things. I mean, you know, you get to a certain point, 
you've done a certain number of fights, you get to a certain age and maybe it's time to, you know, do some other things. Uh, you know, Kenny Bayless, who's been his Las Vegas co-worker in, uh, in refereeing for decades, who is uh, several years older than Tony's. I think uh, yeah, Kenny's about 74, uh, just announced uh, about a week or so ago that yeah. he was going to retire. And, uh, you know, seems like he's stepping off uh, at the right time. And, you know, you can't tell what, 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 uh, what can't tell Tony what to do, but, you know, hopefully the commission has a, has a hard conversation with him to figure out what the heck is going on. Cause that's just not acceptable. These, these guys careers are at stake. Uh, of course their lives also, but not in the first round where nothing is really happening. Yeah. And, uh, some people suggested that maybe Tony, um, is still cognizant or in the back of his mind that he was the referee in the ring in November of last year. Uh, or I should say of 2022, when uh, David Morrell knocked out uh, Yersa Benuli up in uh, in Minnesota. And Yersa Benuli obviously uh, was severely injured. He wound up in a coma, had brain surgery, was, uh, you know, his career is over. Uh, he lived and apparently he's okay. But that was obviously a, uh, you know, a critical situation that occurred on Tony's watch. So perhaps that's in the back of his mind. You know, I can't read his mind. But I just know that when you watch a lot of boxing, you know what a shitty stoppage is. That was as bad as it gets. And you mentioned in there about the commissions. Do you feel like there needs to be action, potential action taken? Because at the end of the day, you know, Frederick Lawson or for, for Virgil Ortiz, you know, it's costing costing them rounds. And even in, a, in Romero versus Barroso, um, that could have costed Barroso another opportunity, especially at his age, for, for shots at world honours, especially when he's leading the fight. So would you feel like sort of like higher action from commissions needs to potentially be taken when it comes to Tony Weeks? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't think they they, they don't need to go out there and embarrass him publicly or anything like that. But yeah. the actions we'll see. I mean, are they going to continue to assign him to these type of fights that are, you know, higher profile, you know, televised main event type fights, that sort of thing? You know, probably not. I mean, it's a fine line. Obviously, nobody wants to see a fighter get injured. Yeah. But it's boxing and guys get hit. I mean, that's the that's the sport. So, yeah. as I mentioned, you know, you you. You ruined the situation for Lawson, who should have been given the opportunity to continue, even though, again, he had taken a few punches, but nothing that looked like he was about to get knocked out. For Virgil Ortiz, had been out of the ring for a very long time. He's trying to work his way back into, into you know, fighting uh, condition, if you will, and deserve the opportunity. And if he's going to get a knockout, let him get one that at least is more, uh, you know, pretty, let's say. Then you also take into account the, fan the fact that there's, you know, thousands of paying fans there that paid for tickets that have been robbed of, uh, of the event short-circuited for no apparent reason it's just it's just unacceptable all the way around no matter how you cut it now i know if uh, there had been an injury then people would be second guessing also but yeah. that's the nature of the sport and in that particular case uh, i'm always cool with stopping the fight a punch too soon when you know yeah. that there's a problem not in round one where nothing has happened what yeah. can i say Absolutely. I think many, many people would agree to you, agree with you there. Um, from, from sort of negative news to positive news, um, Anthony Joshua's next fight seems to be set to be confirmed March the 8th against Francis Ngannou. Um, this is obviously, as, as when it comes to someone like Ngannou, it does come with mixed reviews, especially sort of maybe more or less calmed down after the Fury fight. But um, what do you make of, of this fight being made on March the 8th in, uh, in Saudi Arabia? Well, you said good news. I was going to say some people might say it's bad news because yeah, exactly, uh, for yeah. them, it's not the kind of fight they want to see uh, uh, Anthony Joshua in. But uh, listen, I get it. I mean, whatever you thought about Naganu fighting Fury, 
he certainly proved himself against Fury. Yes, he got a, a, a loss on his record, but there was a lot of people that thought he deserved to win the fight against the heavyweight champ. He did score the big knockdown against Tyson Fury in the third round on a beautiful left hook. So, you know, when when Deontay Wilder lost, um, remember when that that card that took place on December 23rd, the whole plan there was that if, if Wilder uh, comes through the fight against Joseph Parker and and uh, and Joshua did the same against Otto uh, Valine, that they had signed contracts to fight each other on that March date. And so when Wilder lost, OK, the question becomes, who is Anthony Joshua going to fight? He's still got some. Uh, uh, you know, obligations between the Saudis and him and vice versa. And, you know, he's in position to fight potentially for the, what will eventually become the vacant IBF title pending, uh, you know, the result of what happens in Usyk and, and, uh, and Fury in February. But you tell me if you're going to fight Philip Hergovich for the vacant IBF title, or you can fight Francis Naganu, which is maybe not for a title, but certainly a much, much bigger profile fight in terms of the overall world, interest let's say and you're gonna wait you're gonna make probably way more money for the naganu fight and i'm not gonna say it's an easy fight but i think it goes to reason that it's definitely an easier fight than her yeah. who's an olympic medalist who's an accomplished professional heavyweight who's undefeated who's got some good wins and uh you know he's not a guy that's come over from mma who if you look at it and you give naganu a lot of credit for what he did with fury you can also certainly you know, two things can be true at the same time. Yes, he did a great job against Fury, but let's be honest, Fury, uh, it seems to me, and I think most would agree, did not come to that fight taking it as seriously as maybe he should have, and that probably led to uh, some of the problems that he had. So if you're Joshua, of course, and, and the Saudis, they wanted the fight. They're the ones putting up all this, uh, you know, big amount of money for these events. And so I've got no problem with Anthony Joshua taking on Francis Ngannou. Uh, when Fury fought him, A, he's the heavyweight champion. B, he hadn't fought for quite some time. So there's that aspect where he's coming off of a long layoff. And also, Anthony Joshua has been very active. This was his, you know, the fight that he had in December was his third fight of the year. This will be now in March. It'll be his fourth fight. I believe it'll be, what, in 11 months uh, or, yeah. or 12 months. So, I mean, he's yeah. staying active by heavyweight standards and by even any boxing, you know, top-level fighter standards. So, you know, and he's not a champion. He's trying to round himself back into shape. He's going to sit there and wait to see what happens in Usyk and Fury. So, even though he could potentially fight Hergovich, but obviously the much bigger fight would be the winner of Usyk Fury at some point. So yeah, take the Naganu fight. It's going to be a big spectacle. People are going to give Naganu a much bigger chance based on the Fury result. And uh, I, for one, have no problem with it. And actually, um, because of what I saw in the Naganu Fury fight, and uh, having seen the way Joshua looked in his fight against uh, against Otto, it makes me more interested to see the two of them with each other. It's you know, it's a it's a fun spectacle. Uh, I thought Fury Nagano was a fun spectacle. Also, it was just more irritating because Fury hadn't defended yeah. the title in a while. And uh, there was uh, we were still hoping that the Usyk fight would happen. Once once they made the Nagano fight, and then it was soon after the Usyk fight was signed, I was fine with that also. So, you know what? This is showbiz. It's it's sports. It's business in general. So let him go do that fight. And, uh, you know, I'm sure if Joshua wins, he'll find himself in other big fights against uh, more experienced top-level heavyweights afterwards. And with, you mentioned previously about Fury potentially not taking the fight seriously. Do you feel like the, the result of that played into AJ's hands? Because we aren't looking into the realm of the unknown of Francis Ngannou now. We know he's a capable puncher, put down Tyson Fury. And, we, and AJ now knows that the, the, the damage that Ngannou could, um, could inflict, inflict, uh, inflict on him. So it could make for, for a more interesting fight. Uh, do, you, do you feel like that? 
Well, I think that Joshua knows now that it's not to be a joke. And obviously, if the Fury fight hadn't happened, he probably wouldn't have got the opportunity to fight Anthony Joshua. Um, so I do think that he's taking it seriously. I mean, first of all, at least in my experience, having watched Anthony Joshua his entire professional career, I can't tell you that there's been a boxing match that he's had where I've looked at him and said, I don't think Anthony Joshua took this fight seriously. Even when he lost against uh, Andy Ruiz or when he lost against Alexander Usyk, I didn't feel like he wasn't prepared for those fights or you know wasn't wasn't taking it seriously or came in you know uh, terribly out of shape or anything along those lines so you know he just got you know he got beat by the better guy against Usyk and you know Andy Ruiz is a good puncher and he caught him which happens in, in boxing particularly in the heavyweight division so uh, I think Joshua was gonna gonna be prepared and he should be uh, you know it's 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 a good thing because he's active and that means he's staying in camp staying in shape and and uh, moving towards this other fight so no I don't I don't I don't think he's taking it lightly I think it's a he, he knows. I mean, it's he, he. I'm sure he can go back and look at the video. I'm sure his, uh, you know, the people in this camp can say, don't don't forget, he, he put Tyson Fury on his ass. You know, he's capable yeah. of doing the same thing to you. And, uh, you know, I give Francis Ngannou a lot of credit. I mean, yes, of course, he's being highly compensated in terms of the money uh, for these types of fights. But, you know, for a guy that's had now one professional fight, that by the time he's done with two professional fights, he'll have fought Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua in back-to-back fights. Uh, and that should be a lesson to every other boxer out there, heavyweight or otherwise, that when they get offered the opportunity to fight big fights for career money, you know, why are you running away from them? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. For sure. And one one thing I wanted to mention when it came to Nganu, I spoke to Billy Nelson this morning, who um, obviously represents Martin Bacoli. And he, and he spoke about the frustrations with someone like Nganu, who has almost jumped the queue, jumped the queue in a way uh, when it comes to having con- sort of contenders being in big fights. Um would you understand those frustrations when it comes to heavyweight contenders where you have I someone mean, like Ngannou who jumps the queue? I, I understand it, but I don't <laughs> I don't give it any credence because, you know, if you're going to get to the big fights, number one, you have to earn it. I, and I'm not I'm not knocking Martin Bacola or anything like that. Yeah. I'm not I have nothing bad to say about him. I don't know if I can say he's earned, you know, some big mega fight. Uh, and when you're a star and and the fans want to see you and you have a certain level of accomplishment, even in terms of Nagano, what's in the mixed martial arts field. Uh, you know, that has its privileges. There's a lot more people out there that would be interested to pay money and watch a Francis Ngannou fight an Anthony Joshua than would be to do that between him and, and Martin Bacol or any, you know, many other uh, heavyweights out there that have rankings or have good records, et cetera. So, you know, I, I understand the frustration, but, you know, that's life. You know, we all are grownups here and, you know, it's business and that's the way it goes. And if you don't like it, then do something about it. And the way you do something about it is take advantage of when you get opportunities and go out there and look spectacular and get a knockout and make the fans want to pay to watch you fight. Uh, definitely. And one thing I also did want to ask you about is um, I spoke to you after the Wallin fight with AJ and I talk, talked about the gap closing between Fury and AJ and people, fans could potentially be seeing that now more than ever. Um, and with and obviously now with AJ fighting and uh, Garner, and obviously it's been a hypothetical situation because it is after Fury Usyk. Um, but do you feel like we now we are now seeing the resumes being com- com- compared with Fury beating Wilder, Fury beating Wilder, and then Wilder losing to Parker, and then people comparing you know Fury's performance to Ngannou to then say if AJ you know knocks out Ngannou, then we're seeing these these fights the the, the potential resumes being com- com- the resumes being compared to try and sell that fight later down the line. That makes well, sense. Well, you're, you're always going to have, whenever you've got, you know, uh, the bigger names in a weight class, you're always going to compare resumes. I mean, go back a few years ago, we watched, uh, like, say, for example, we watched Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao before they fought each other 
we're all running through the same top level opponents and we compared them whether it was you know they both had fought uh miguel cotto they both fought uh, ricky hatton i mean there was other common opponents that they had and it's sort of the same thing in the heavyweight division you're always going to compare but against each other i don't think it necessarily uh helps or hinders of making the big fight yeah. i just think that it just gives us things to sort of discuss and think about before they get to the big fight you know it adds a little bit of, of, of a conversation because we can compare them against each other but you know anybody that follows boxing for any period of time knows you know put it like this go back to the great uh the, the tri rivalry let's say between ali frazier and foreman so muhammad ali of course you know suffers a loss to joe frazier he knocks out george foreman well then of course george foreman or you know frazier should beat george foreman based on that you know uh comparison and what happened george foreman you know just beat frazier up and knocked him out very easily so it doesn't always work that way uh but look the biggest fights at the end of eras eventually there's guys that are still standing at the moment. It's, it's Joshua and it's fury. And I, I would think that at some point, even if a guy loses, there's still going to be the biggest yeah. names that someday that that fight's going to happen. I mean, I take a look at it and I think back to like the Lewis and Tyson and Holyfield yeah. that era, you know, we went through that whole period of time. Those, those, that uh, one of the best heavyweight eras in boxing was that 1990s where those three guys were the biggest names. Plus you had other lot, you know, the second, career of George and Michael Moore and Riddick Bowe. And there's, you know, a lot of good heavyweights, Tommy Morrison and, and Ray Mercer. And, and, and there's just, there was a, it was a great heavyweight era. And a lot of those guys all squared off and faced each other. People like to dog on the heavyweights now when they get down on this guy, they get down on that guy. But I'm telling you years from now, when we look back, you're going to look back at this era. Absolutely. I promise you, this is the case. And they're going to look at this era that we're in the midst of, we're getting to the end of it. But they're going to look back and say, this was one of the great heavyweight eras yeah. in boxing. You got the 1970s of Ali, Frazier, Foreman, and Norton, and others. And you got the 90s that are the guys I just mentioned. Well, we're going to look back and we're going to talk about someday, I promise you, the good old days. Oh, Fury yeah. and Wilder and Joshua and Argovich and, and Zhang Zhilai and, you know, Joseph Parker and other heavyweights who are mixing and matching with each other. And, and we're in the middle of it now. We're going to get to a point where when Fury... And Josh will finally fight. It'll be probably about the end of that era in the next couple of years as they peter out. And and we'll finally, you know, get that resolution like we did. And, and I'm telling you, this is exactly how I felt at the time. I can remember having the conversation, sitting in the press conference after Lewis Tyson. Now, that fight happened in, like, say, about 2001. But in essence, it ended the era of the 90s. It was the last big fight of that group of the guys I just mentioned. And we're going to get to a point with this group where that's going to happen, where it's going to be Fury against uh, against Joshua at some point. Maybe someday we'll see Wilder against Joshua. But I'm telling you, it's going to happen. We're going to look back on this era fondly. We're seeing these big mega shows that they're doing now in Saudi Arabia with a lot of heavyweight action. We've seen other heavyweight top fights of the times, whether it's the trilogy of uh, Wilder and Fury or the two fights between like a Zhang Zhilai and Joe Joyce. We're seeing, you know, Joshua has fought Joseph Parker. You know, he's fought uh, other guys. You know, Nagano is sort of in there in the middle there as sort of like a like an uh, like a late a, a late uh, addition, let's say, in some of these more spectacle kind of fights. But they're going to happen, and and uh, we're always going to compare their resumes the same way we still do today when you talk about Holyfield and Lewis and Tyson yeah. and and the, and the big names from that period of time. Yeah, definitely. I think that's uh, the spot. Put my, I put it. my historian hat on, you know? Yeah, I was, I was loving that, definitely.
just to sort of move on from that topic, um, after Undisputed, how quickly do you feel like the IBF will move uh, to ordering Hergovic and, and, and Joshua for the vacant belt, potentially? Well, there's going to be a period of time after the first fight happens where they don't, they're not going to have to make a decision like that day. But because of the previous IBF ruling stating that Hergovic is the mandatory and that the winner of Fury and Usyk will be required to fight that fighter in a mandatory fight, knowing the IBF, it would not be a surprise to me if when they fight on that Saturday, uh, that on Monday morning, the letter will go out to whoever the winner is and to the Hergovic team saying, you know, you have a certain number of time. You know, they know the fight's not going to happen for a few months, obviously, or however long, but they're going to make it known that the order has been made and they should begin negotiations and they'll give them a period of time. And at some point there would be a person. Um, and then at that point, you're going to have a situation where whoever is the winner is going to have to make the determination uh, that they're going to either have to vacate or, or, or not. But, Again, it's going to depend on if the second fight is going to happen. Now, my understanding is that the loser of the fight between Fury and Usyk is going to have the right to exercise a rematch. Typically, that would be a, a case they might have 30 days to do so, something like that. Like It's not like they're going back to the dressing room and they have to say right away what they're going to do. They get a little bit of a grace period. Maybe the IBF will take that into consideration. But knowing how they like to follow their rules to the letter, it's unlikely. So I think the order of that fight uh, of, the, of Hergovic against the winner will come very, very quickly after the fight. And then there'll be a short period of time. It could be a couple of weeks till that plays out. And once we have a, a resolution and presumably the, the winner ends up vacating, then like literally the next day or maybe that day, yeah. you will see the order go out for Hergovic to fight um, whoever the next leading available contender is. Now, Joshua, if he's fighting... Uh, against Nagano you never know if he loses or gets injured maybe he's not available maybe some other case comes up they're just going to go down their rankings presently as they're constructed you got Hergovic as number one number two is Otto Valin but he will drop out when the new yeah. rankings come out and number three is Anthony Joshua yeah. so you know you can see how that's going to play out and when it comes to the undercard on March the 8th um Jule Zhang and Deontay Wilder were both talked about potentially featuring there um either against each other or against other opponents. And what can you take from that understanding of that potential on the card? Well, my understanding, I've talked to the, to the, to the Zhang team. He's on the card. There's no doubt about that. He's going to be on that show. Whether Wilder is on the show is not a hundred percent. I know from talking to the Wilder team, they'd like to be on the show. Certainly there's a conversation about maybe the possibility of, as you mentioned, Zhang against Wilder on the card. I kind of get the feeling that that while it is possible, I don't know if I'd, kind of don't think that necessarily is going to happen uh but as they say in the business it's a fluid situation so i believe zang will be on the card against somebody wilder may be on the card maybe against zang but could be against somebody else uh because this all just is coming together it it, it you know it by the time you post this video it could be different yeah. what the, what yeah, the uh, exactly, result yeah. is but it's definitely a fluid situation it's a conversation they're having i mean they gotta they gotta see what they want to do but uh, you can be sure that it's going to be a card that's going to have a bunch of heavyweights on there. Yeah, uh, what, what I suppose Saudi are sort of keeping their their favor with their heavyweights as as with February seventeenth as well. Is um, there's sort of not been much on the undercard at the moment, but they just announced today that Joe Cordina is fighting Anthony Kakache. Um, is it sort of anything from you understand of what we could see on on February seventeenth with Fury Usyk on that undercard? So you're saying that Cordina is going to be on that card. So yeah, he, besides, he, obviously, that's not a heavyweight fight. But yeah, that, that's yeah, good yeah, to course, see. Yeah. You know, a good champion like Cordina get that position. Um, again, again, it's 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 all being worked on. I mean, if you take a look at the way that the December 23rd came together, 
when they realized there was not going to be the Fury yeah. Usyk fight on that date, they ended up putting together those eight fights, yeah. you know, in a very short period of time. They're basically in the process of doing that now for the 23rd. The only other thing that I think is pretty solid, I don't, again, I don't know if it's signed, but, and I've been hearing this for a while now, is that that the former light heavyweight champion, Sergey Kovalev, who is now fighting as a cruiserweight, there's a very likely chance that he's going to be on that undercard, which makes sense because uh, Usyk and, and uh, Kovalev share the same manager. So yeah. that's not out of the realm of uh, making sense. So it seems to me that we'll see Kovalev on that card. Obviously, we've got the big main event. If Cordina is going to be in a title defense on the undercard, there's going to be some spots for other guys also. Uh, you know, we'll see how they how they play that out. But I'm, I'm, I was kind of thinking, again, I don't know for sure, but I was thinking because Opataya had such a quick, easy fight uh, on the 23rd, that and then he has some kind of arrangement with the Saudis also. Uh, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that he might be back in very short order to box on that card. Uh if the if the Saudis do it the way they've done uh, the uh, Tyson Fury Naganu card and the December twenty third card, I think uh, we can all be uh, expecting whatever the the show is that it's going to at least be something worthwhile. Absolutely, definitely. And lastly, um, just before we end this interview, if I did want to touch on Ryan Garcia, um, his situation. I mean, this this weekend has been a bit of a crazy one for him. Um, <laughs> sort of all, all in his personal life, in boxing, a lot of things have gone on. Um, from from a lot of the understanding, we thought he'd be fighting Devin Haney. Now saying that he's going to fight Roy Romero instead. I mean, what are your thoughts on this and where you stand with the Ryan Garcia situation as it is? He's, in boxing, I guess. It's boxing. You know, things change. You know, things are things are what they're supposed to be until they aren't, right? Yeah. So he changed his mind, apparently. Like, I mean, it, it seemed like for a while that Devin Haney and Ryan Garcia wanted to fight each other. They both were respectful of each other, even though they're competitors. They have six fights with each other in the amateurs. Obviously, it was a big opportunity for uh, for Haney to defend the title for the first time uh, at the junior welterweight limit uh, against a big name and a big event. And for Ryan, it would be a big event also and an opportunity to win a world title uh, in a fight that they both claimed that they wanted. That you know Eddie Hearn and Golden Boy and Oscar De La Hoya, they had had some conversations about it. So everybody kind of thought it would get made. Uh, Ryan asked his team to please go and try to make that fight, which is what De La Hoya tried to do or was in the process of trying to doing. And for whatever reason, he suddenly has changed his mind. And now he's saying, I want to fight Roley Romero, which is a guy that they were talking about before the Haney thing came up. Uh, some people are speculating because Ryan now has like at least a friendly relationship with Floyd Mayweather, who was Roley's promoter for a long time, who obviously has a longstanding uh, beef with Oscar De La Hoya. And yeah. he and Ryan were out, uh, I guess, doing a late night, uh, some road work in Las Vegas, you know, in the recent days that maybe uh, Floyd's been in Ryan's ear. Who the heck knows? Uh, obviously, if you're fighting Haney for the title, it's a bigger event. If you're fighting Roley, it's not as big of an event, no matter what they say. I definitely believe it's not as big of an event. But that said, it's a much more winnable fight for Ryan Garcia. Now, the WBA is going to have a say-so whether if that fight were to happen, if it would be for the title. Now, Ryan claims, said it to me in an interview prior to the fight with uh, Duarte, that now winning a world title is a big deal for him, whereas before it really wasn't. He wanted to make his name, wanted to make a ton of money. He's done that. Now he wants to be a world champion. Well, Roley Romero, based on having the WBA title when he comes back, is obligated to take on Barroso in a rematch. But if you're Roley, uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to take on Barroso in a rematch in a fight where you were being taken to school by a 40-year-old guy? Uh or are you going to give up your title potentially and make a multi-gazillion dollar fight against Ryan Garcia? I'm pretty sure we know what the answer there is. Um, so we're going to have to see how that plays out. I mean, I, just because Ryan said it on uh, you know his social media the other night, I'm not saying he's lying. I'm just saying the story is not done being written. 
you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the door is closed on any fight the same way uh, you could, you could still possibly see him fight against Romero. And as I mentioned, in terms of what's the, what the belt situation is, the WBA will have to say, certainly they can make the fight and he yeah. can give up the title and no one can stop him from doing that. And then Barroso would just be elevated to the WBA champion. Uh, but I think there's still a few more uh, uh, twists and turns, let's say, before this saga is concluded. Absolutely. Uh, just as we close this off, um, in the new year, people will be having new New Year's resolutions. Um, one of our, one New Year's resolution I think people should have is to is to sign up to the newsletter and start listening to the podcast, um, as I always like to do. Where can we find you? Where can we see your podcast? And where can we read your newsletter, mate? Well, I, I agree with that assessment. That's a great <laughs> New Year's resolution. You go on uh, danrayfield.substack.com. You put your email into the prompt and you'll start receiving uh, those email blasts when I do them pretty much every day, uh, about six days a week, probably sometimes a couple per day. Uh, and for those who are really into it, we offer a paid plan, which is good, helps pay the bills. And the podcast, you know, twice a week, every Thursday, every Sunday with my partner, TJ Reeves, and we go over uh, the fights and we have interviews and and we uh, talk about the results. And it's been a, a great pleasure. That's on any podcast you can find. It's either in, it's in the newsletter, but it's also on all your uh, typical locations, uh, Spreaker and, and uh, Apple and, you know, you name it. So we're uh, we've been doing that now. It'll be about a year and a half. We're having a blast doing it. Absolutely, definitely. It's always enjoyable to read it and listen and, and, and consume everything that you're putting out. Um, Dan, I just want to say thank you for taking time to speak to me. Good to kick off 2024 with a bang, with some exciting boxing news, and I'm sure we'll be catching up very, very soon, mate. Thank you. Sounds good. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.